Hi, welcome to the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. I'm here to give just some updates and reminders and kind of a status check on Zika. There's been some new information almost every week, it seems, for the last few weeks since the outbreaks in Brazil were really widespread across the globe in the media space. And just no question, as someone who works in media and who's a pediatrician and a, a parent to young kids, I mean, I think we're hearing about this in some ways well more than we need to. And that's because everyone's got such a profound curiosity. It's changing, it's spreading, and the outbreaks are real. And there are deep concerns about the safety, particularly of pregnant women and their unborn children. So I just think, too, though, that I want kind of to provide an overview to kind of calm down too that um, we know a lot and we know how to protect and prevent Zika infections, particularly those at risk. So some quick reminders. The Zika virus is transmitted through the bite of mosquitoes. Remember, a mosquito bites an infected individual and then bites a different person. And that's one way that Zika is transmitted and predominantly the way that Zika is spread. Tends to be carried in kind of these tropical climates where the 80s mosquito, that also spreads dengue around, um, that 80s mosquito is the one that's of threat. Those are the ones that kind of ca can carry the virus around from person to person. Now, those typically have been in these tropical climates. So Central and South America, in, um, even in the Pacific Islands and other places and in U.S. territories like Puerto Rico. But of course, we also now know it's in the United States, in particularly the Southeast, where mosquitoes can kind of bread and thrive. Now, mosquitoes typically lay their eggs in standing water, so buckets and bowls and little ponds and even lakes, and they do prefer to bite people. So there are significant funding and governmental efforts underway to control mosquitoes, and we will do a good job continuing to do that. But the cases recently in Miami and then even on the other side of Florida do tell us, of course, that we can't entirely get rid of mosquitoes in our environment. And so we have to take precautions particularly if you're planning a family or if you're pregnant. Now, the second way Zika can spread is from mom to baby. So we know that that's why we're so worried about pregnant women getting an infection of Zika because they can spread it to their baby. And we know in severe cases or in cases that we know about, Moms can have the brain, these brains in these babies are changed and babies can be born with microcephaly. And we'll talk a little bit more, or I'll talk a little bit more about the recent radiologic data that's come out just this week. Today is the 25th of August that I'm recording this. And so I'll, I'm, I'm as, keeping as up to date today as I can. The last way that Zika can spread is through sex. And I think one of the things that's been scary about Zika is that at the beginning of the announcements, and when I first wrote my very first blog post and did media on Zika, we didn't even talk about sex transmission. And so I think there's a lot around Zika that makes us nervous because we don't know the whole story yet. But we do now know that sexual transmission is possible from men to women and likely from women to men. So anyone who has been exposed or had a Zika infection can spread that um, even if the person doesn't have symptoms. And that's the other kicker that makes us so anxious is that only eight or excuse me, only basically two out of 10 or one out of five people who get Zika knows it because they get the symptoms. 80% of people who get Zika 
don't have any symptoms and won't know it. So we have to be thoughtful if you're planning a pregnancy or you're a partner to someone who is pregnant to really be careful about your exposures and the possibility of having an infection. So even if you don't think you had Zika, but you were in an area where there was active Zika, you have to take really careful precautions. You can also get, of course, Zika from blood to blood, so through blood transfusion. But there are screening that's involved, and blood even being donated is not being allowed in some of these active areas, as you've likely heard about in the um, areas um, from Brazil and French Polynesia, but also even in the Florida area this way. So, you know, there have been a number of cases in the United States, over 2,000 cases. Most are travel-associated, but we've had 14 cases up to this date in August of actually, you know, locally acquired mosquito-borne. There have been secondary side effects, something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. That's where the nervous system in your body changes after a viral infection, likely as an autoimmune response to fighting off the infection. And there has even been a death associated with that. In the U.S. territories that include um, Puerto Rico, there have been over 8,000 cases, more cases of Guillain-Barre, and there have been multiple pregnant women who have had the effects of Zika. And we, of course, are seeing babies born after Zika infections with severe abnormalities. So if you're pregnant, what you need to do, make sure you're listening carefully to the recommendations from CDC. You should not be traveling to an area that has active Zika infection. Those maps are available at cdc.gov. Just go in and Google or put in your browser Zika space CDC. You'll land on a great page. It's up to date and updated almost every week and, and sometimes even more regularly based on new information. If you're pregnant, you also need to make sure that your partner, if they're traveling to a Zika area or if there's any concern that they've been in an area with active Zika or had a Zika infection, that you have safe sex practices for the duration of your of your pregnancy. That means condom use entirely or abstinence until the end of your pregnancy. It's just too risky because we know that Zika can be um, alive and well in the semen after three months' time after a Zika infection, and that data may change. So recommendations now are for men to make sure for the duration of a woman's pregnancy, condom use from the very beginning of sexual contact to the end, that includes oral, um, vaginal, or anal intercourse at any time during that pregnancy, have to have definitive barriers barrier protection that way. If you're pregnant and you're asymptomatic, meaning you've been in an area of Zika and you're asymptomatic, you don't think you've had an infection, it's likely you should talk with your OB and be tested regardless. And then making sure that if you live in an area of Zika at any time that during your trimesters, you are checking with your OB and being tested. Again, look at cdc.gov for more information about that. Prevention of sexual transmission relies on that barrier method. So men and women who are traveling and are at all thinking about planning pregnancy need to be cautious. Women should wait two months after being in an area where they could have had a Zika infection, so active Zika. So if you've been to Miami last week, it's recommended at this point that you wait to plan a pregnancy for two months. If you're a man who's traveled to an area in Central America, South America, or abroad, you know, outside of those areas, and or in Miami area and across Florida, at this time it's recommended you'd wait six months before you'd plan a pregnancy with a partner. So that's where we are with kind of if you're pregnant or if you're trying. Now, what does it mean for your family? I mean, I think I still really believe in how these recommendations are made. And I believe, too, in the incredible value of international and really family travel. So 
I'm going to be traveling to Miami for a conference in January, and I'm not in any way planning on um, discontinuing that. I'll be smart about it, though. I'll use insect repellent that's recommended, that's EPA-endorsed and is recommended against the 80s mosquitoes. Those, that, many of those are DEET. Um, those are safe to use during pregnancy. They're safe to use during the um, childbearing years, and they're even safe to use when breastfeeding. So I'll be doing that. I'll be taking my kids to Central America where my family lives, and we'll be smart about protecting against mosquito bites with long clothing during the day and repellents. But if I were planning to be pregnant immediately, spoiler alert, I'm not. And or if, um, you know, I think I had, you know, had any concerns about that, I wouldn't be doing that. But I'm not, I am listening to these guidelines and using them. So this kind of, I think, over media exposure, I think in some cases is scaring people away from international travel where they don't need to be. And I think um, we have to be careful and thoughtful because there are side effects that we're learning about when it comes to Zika. But one thing in particular that's come out that I think is a bit distorted in the media is the information that was published about the radiology study, looking at the brain abnormalities of babies and congenital brain abnormalities with Zika. And I think to be really clear, what this study shows, and there have been lots of images in the news and online of brain abnormalities that happen with Zika. And what this does is actually tell us why the microcephaly or the small head is a side effect of the Zika infection. It doesn't show us that it's any more severe than we've known it to be. Microcephaly is just by diagnosis a smaller than expected head size. And as a reminder, you know, the skull, the actual hard part around our head, grows only when the brain is causing pressure on it to grow and expand. When we're born and our babies come through the birth canal traditionally vaginally, there are all these plates in our bones, you know, and we've got these soft spots that allow for our brain and our skull basically to compress and that baby's, you know, skull that compresses, it comes through the birth canal. And then basically the skull grows as the brain grows. And, you know, after a baby's born, we, every time they come in for a wellness visit at, you know, a, at newborn time, at month, two month, four month, six month, nine month, 12 month, 18, two years and age three, we look at the head circumference. And what we're measuring is the size of the skull to say, is the brain growing as we expect? The study in radiology really just details why the brain is small after an infection with Zika congenitally, meaning that when an unborn baby is in mom's body and she gets Zika, she passes it to baby, and then brain abnormalities are seen. Now, in those cases, they saw calcifications, which is the telltale sign in a brain of having had an infection. They also saw the pockets of fluid, what are called ventricles. They were much larger in a lot of those cases, causing the fluid to be bigger and the brain to be smaller. They also found that um, as the brain was developing, it didn't have as many folds in some cases, meaning that if you look or think about what a brain looks like, it's all foldy and um, turned over on itself. And we know a really well-formed brain is really folded to kind of maximize the surface area and the way that the neurons or the brain cells are connected. A smoother brain doesn't tend to work as well, and they see that, and it's a smaller brain. They saw abnormalities in the brain stem, in the cerebellar areas, which are the base of the brain, these little... Um, kind of out pouches at the bottom of the brain, and then also even in like the corpus callosum, the section that connects your right side of your brain to your left side of your brain. So it isn't that these profoundly horrible um, and awful malformations are new in our understanding of Zika, but what this radiology study really does is help OBs and ultrasound experts in radiology understand how to screen for and diagnose in utero infections and the cause effects. And really, it's just proving out that the brain causes the skull to grow and that 
microcephaly is the endpoint, and what's causing the microcephaly are these infection changing, you know, changing events that make the brain sometimes smoother, sometimes smaller, not as well folded, and the pockets of fluid are bigger. And in addition, they also were able to see that sometimes the head circumference, so the distance around the head or the measurement, was normal, but the brain was really small in there. So this is just more information that when you're getting screening ultrasounds during pregnancy, when we're diagnosing moms who may have had a Zika infection and we're caring for and guiding and learning about caring for those kids, we have an understanding that we have to look, of course, at what the brain looks like in addition to just the size around that. So we'll learn more and more from this study. But I think it doesn't need to scare us even more. It's just consistent and more explanatory of why the brains are small. So as you go forth and you plan your families and you travel the world and understand Zika, make sure you use cdc.gov as a resource. Make sure you think really carefully about where you go while you're pregnant, just like you think about your exercise and your diet and your vitamins. And think carefully and be cautious about the reality. If you're in the time of your life where you're planning for a family, if you're a woman thinking carefully, if you're a man thinking carefully about men's travel as well, their exposures and their ability to make sure that they're protecting and holding holding off on planning a family until at least six months after a potential exposure. Pregnant moms should always talk with OBs and midwives, nurse practitioners, if any concern they've been to a Zika area, and even asymptomatic, meaning moms who are pregnant moms who don't have symptoms in those areas with active infections should be screened during their pregnancies to make sure they understand if they've had an infection. For more, check out links at Seattle Mama Doc. Look at cdc.gov or Google Zika CDC for up-to-date parent, patient, um, public-friendly information. I really hope this helps your understanding and hopefully um, calming down about roaming the globe and living in a time where we're learning more and more about Zika. Reality is, parenting is a high-stakes job, but the good news is, you've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc Podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from. 